We'll be reading in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before, beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's pray. Father God, we are so happy to be in your presence this morning. We confess that you are the one true God, the eternal, transcendent, all-glorious God. And so, Father, we thank you for, for how you've gathered us from all different places into this very room, and we trust that that you have been working in all of our stories, all of our, our weeks leading up to this, that nobody is here by accident. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we look to you. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. Lord Jesus, would you reveal yourself and your purposes to us this morning? Holy Spirit of God, we know that we no longer belong to the world, but we now belong to you. We struggle to believe, as, as the Son said, that it is good for him to go away because he is sending another, a helper, an advocate. And so, Spirit of God, would you work in the deep places of our hearts this morning? Would you minister to us? Would you convict us? Would you illuminate your word to us? Would you open our eyes to see the wonderful things in this word? And so, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, we lay our lives before you. 
We ask to be filled by you, changed by you. It sounds so silly to say, but we give you permission to do in our lives whatever you want because we belong to you. Uproot the things in us that need to be uprooted and replace them with a a true love for you and abiding fellowship with your son, a love for one another, and a love for those in the world. And as we start a new series in, in Acts this morning, may this not just be another teaching series, but may this be a form of renewal in our midst. Would you draw us in so that you might send us out? Would you change us from the inside out so that we may go just as these disciples and and make witnesses, as witnesses make disciples in Columbia and around Missouri and even to the ends of the earth? And so we pray this morning, come Lord, come Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Well, hey, welcome to Trinity. Really good to see you. Uh, I've been looking forward to this day and to this week for like two months. Uh, I've had this Sunday circled on my calendar with like a big red marker, you know, the start of the Acts series. I've been looking forward to this for a couple months. Wednesday nights are celebration dinner where we all gather and eat really good food and we tell stories and we look forward to what God has for us in the year ahead. And then next Sunday, Super Bowl 54, am I right? Can I get an amen? I've been waiting for that for about 50 years. And the reason, the reason I'm so, so excited for this morning uh, is because over the past couple months, in fact, in, in November, I, I felt the Lord begin to do something new and different in me. Uh, if you know me at all, you know that I'm against the new and different. That's That's not who I am. Anything that's like the next big thing, I'm just against it. It doesn't matter what it is, I'm against it. It's like if it's that great, it would have been developed 500 years ago. I'm good. Uh, You know, especially when it comes to to spiritual things. I I love history. I love tradition. Uh, I love, you know, sustainable spiritual rhythms. I'm against any form of, of hype, you know. It's like... Uh, any, any kind of, you know, high energy ministry, I, I just check out. Even as a kid, I was like that. Like nine years old at youth camp, I'm like, really, buddy? Have you even studied the Greek? You know, I was like, well, I wouldn't engage in anything. But now, you know, I'm like any, any preacher that's just shouting just to shout. I don't like it. Any, any, you know, high energy churches, big vision churches. I'm like, come on, that's not me. Uh, and, and I'm against almost anything that, that feels new and different. You know, the televangelist that's like, today is the day. The spirit comes down today. All you have to do is bring the tithe into the storehouse. It drives me crazy. Uh, and yet I'm, I'm sitting there in, in November and I'm going through my routine. Every day I get up at 5.15. I make eight ounces of medium roast Aldi brand coffee. And I pray for an hour and then I have my smoothie at 6.15. And so I'm going through my whole routine, and yet I begin to feel the Spirit of God in a way um, just far deeper and, and more personal than normally. And I begin to sense that he was laying on my heart to pray for some freedom, to pray uh, for freedom for some things in my life, mainly depression. I've just struggled uh, so much with depression uh, for the last few years. And, and uh, if you've walked with depression, you know there's times when the Lord lifts it and times when the Lord just lets you sit in it. Uh, much longer than you want. 
Um, but I felt in that moment the Lord begin to, to lift something and, and to sort of light a fire in me in a new way. And as I've experienced this sort of internal renewal, I've been, I've been so thankful to the Lord. And it's not like for something. You know, I don't feel like God is stirring up uh, an increased hunger in me just so I can go do something. You know, it's not like for, you know, you all. It's not like for church growth. It's for me and it's for the Lord. And yet at the same time, that very week that I was experiencing all these things, I, I talked to five or six of you, like just my normal, ordinary meetings already scheduled in the week. And it was like every one of them was like puzzle pieces fitting together. God doing something new in you, an increased expectancy in your own heart. It was like a, a weaving together of, of threads into a new mosaic, something that God was doing and just leading me and others into. And so when I see that happen and I begin to see the Lord doing something new and different, I have to recognize, okay, you're God and, you know, my routines are not God. They're great. But I need to be willing to receive, receive what he is doing. And I do feel in this moment, even now, some spiritual momentum, something that, that the Lord is doing to establish a, a foundation for us as a church that I'm just so, so excited about. And so we could, you know, say, okay, we're, we're doing things different now. We're going to change things up. We've got a new big vision. All right. But that's still not me. Uh, so what I want to do is, is immerse ourselves in God's word to, to look at the way of Jesus, to, to spend months in the book of Acts, to say, what, what should the church look like? How did Jesus design the church? His, his earliest followers, those who spent these years with him on earth, when they, when they went to establish these churches in the power of the Holy Spirit, what did they do? How did they do it? And so that's what I want to do for the next four or five months. It might take longer. We're trying to be sensitive to the Spirit and let him lead us through this book. But the book of Acts is the case study of true and proper New Testament Christianity. It's this, this study of 30 years in the life of the early church from the moment that Jesus ascended back into heaven until it closes in chapter 28 with Paul sitting in prison in Rome. I mean, what happened in those 30 years is absolutely staggering. But it's the, literally the only time the world has ever really been changed. You know, when like people are like, I want to change the world. It's like, you're not going to change the world. But one time for 30 years, the world was actually changed by New Testament Christianity. And all of that is captured here in the book of Acts. So I want to look at these first 14 verses. We're actually going to look at those same verses again next week. But I want to try to set up the whole book of Acts. And I want to look at three themes this morning. Three themes that we'll see from beginning to end in the book of Acts. But also three themes that we'll see in these verses. And the first is the way of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, and then the way that he gives his life to us as his followers. Second, the togetherness of the church. How do they do life together, their fellowship, their relationships, their community? So the way of Jesus, the togetherness, and then third, their, their mission, the renewal of all things. How they saw themselves going out into all the world to bring about renewal. And so you put these three things together and you get the longest sermon series title ever, Practicing the Way of Jesus Together for the Renewal of All Things, Studies and Acts. 
Amen. Amen. And so I want to start with the way of Jesus. What do I mean by this phrase, the way of Jesus? The way of Jesus is his lifestyle, his priorities, his habits, his way of interacting with the Father and the Spirit and his way of interacting with the world, all of which he has shared with us. The way of Jesus is the discipleship pattern, the pattern of, of following him, where his disciples, his students, his apprentices. And so our discipleship habits need to be aligned with the habits of Jesus. We need to be aligned with the kingdom of God. And this phrase, the way of Jesus, it doesn't come just from me, but the early church was actually originally called the way. Their first name, before they were even called Christians, they were called the way. And so six times in the book of Acts, they're simply called the way, and only once are they called Christians. And if you say, well, how did they come up with that name, the way? It sounds like a hipster coffee shop, you know, or a Baptist megachurch, the way, you know. What actually comes from Jesus' own words in John 14, when he says, I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so his earliest followers, they understood the power of his way, that he was the only way. And the early church understood a, a seamless connection between what Jesus was doing on earth in his earthly ministry and then what Jesus was continuing to do through them in the world. And so if you pick it right up in verse 1, I encourage you if you've got a Bible to follow along or use the bulletin. The author, Luke, opens like this. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. And it's interesting that, that Luke would phrase it this way. You know, Luke is also the author of the Gospel of Luke. And so in the Gospel of Luke, it's like part one of Jesus's life and ministry. And so he's saying, Theophilus, you know that in my first book, I described what Jesus began to do, what he began to teach. And what that implies is that this book is part two of the Gospel of Luke. It implies that he's now going to describe what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach. But he's going to do it and teach through his people, empowered by the Holy Spirit, going out into the world. But it's still the very ministry of Jesus himself. It's pretty profound if we think about it, that, that Luke is is saying this, that there's a seamless connection between Jesus's ministry in those three years before he was crucified and resurrected, and then the ministry that he's continuing after his ascension through us. It's the same ministry. God's plan of salvation was to send Jesus into the world, to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for our sins, and then he was raised for the dead in victory over sin, Satan, and death. And that's the highlight of God's plan of salvation, but that's not the entire plan of salvation. There are thousands of years of history of God's faithfulness to his people before the cross. And now 2,000 years of God's faithfulness to his people and God's ministry continuing through us even now. And God's grand plan of salvation now is continuing through us. It's remarkable. Now, right out of the gate, as Luke begins to write in verse 3, he makes clear something about the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. 
Verse 3, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. We're going to spend these weeks and months in Acts, and we are going to be so familiar with the message of the gospel. In fact, 30% of the verses in the entire book of Acts are people just talking about the gospel. Uh, it'll say, you know, Peter stood up and said, and then like 50 verses are just what Peter said about the gospel. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And then the next chapter, it'll say Stephen stood up and said, and then 70 verses of the same gospel. And then Paul stood up and said before the group, and then 70 or 80 verses of the gospel. 30% of the content of Acts is just people sharing the gospel. And all these detailed accounts of the same incredible story. And so it's crystal clear throughout the book of Acts that the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. I want us to make sure that we're starting from this place. When we look at the way of Jesus, the first question we ask is not, what do we do, but what did Jesus do? So when we look at the life and ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, we don't say, okay, Jesus loved poor people. Who are the poor people that we should love? We don't look at Jesus serving the, you know, the weak and the needy and say, okay, where are the weak and needy around us? No, we look at these stories and say, how do we become the kind of people that Jesus ministers to? How do we put ourselves in a place to receive his healing? How do we become poor and needy and broken? How do we put ourselves in a way in the place that Christ will meet with us. We can't look at a story of, of like Jesus and a beggar and say, okay, in this situation, we're going to be like Jesus to the beggar. It's like, no, we are the beggar. That's the whole gospel story. We are the needy one that can't save ourselves at all. And Jesus comes and lives and dies and rises for us. Even when he started his ministry, Jesus didn't go out looking for the most capable, you know, most intelligent, most effective and productive followers. He found 12 ordinary guys. He chose the, the weakest and the simplest, the most ordinary, so that he could show his power through them. And so this has to be our starting point, even though we'll talk so much about how we engage in the way of Jesus. It's only because we first receive the way of Jesus through the cross. And so that's the first thing, the way of the cross. The second thing about the way of Jesus that I want us to see is that it's the way of renewal. It's a way of, of renewal. It's not something new. It's something old being renewed. In fact, you'll see the continuity in, in this very chapter. When Jesus rises again from the dead, he's, he's not some totally different Jesus. Like he doesn't come back in like incredible shape. You know, like he's totally jacked and everybody's like, wow, look at you, Jesus. He doesn't come back with like incredible hair and everybody's like, you know, what happened? How, you know, you're incredible now. It's same, same Jesus. The same one that they, they had experienced before. And I love how I think it's verse 13 where it just lists out the names of the disciples, 11 minus uh, Judas Iscariot. It's the same 11 men. Jesus doesn't come back and create new disciples because the other ones were so ordinary. 
He takes these same 11 people. It's the same Mary, mother of Jesus. It's the same women who had been following Jesus throughout the Gospels. It's the same brothers of Jesus. They're all mentioned in this passage. And it's all the same places, too. If you look at the places that are described in Acts 1, it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, the Mount of Olives, all the same places that Jesus had been working for three years. There's so much continuity before and after because it's the same Jesus and the same ministry. It's local, it's personal, it's not impersonal and, and detached. It's not just mere spirit, but it's embodied. It's flesh and blood, real people in real places being changed by Jesus. And so salvation in Jesus' world, it's not new construction. You know, like if you've been in a brand, you know, brand new house that's just been built where everything is exactly the way you want it to be. I've never actually even been in a new construction house before. I don't think that would be healthy for me. But instead, the gospel is not new construction, it's renovation. You know, it's the old house being gutted and, and rebuilt from the studs. What's old is made new. That's the way of Jesus. It's the way of renewal. Next, and, and lastly on this point, the way of Jesus is established by the Father and empowered by the Spirit. Verse 4, it says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. In the same way, in verse 7, he says, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And so this entire way of Jesus, it's Jesus' obedience to his Father. He's deferring to his Father. He's following his Father. He's saying, you don't need to know everything because it's, about following the Father. In the same way, he says in verse 5 about the Holy Spirit, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then again in verse 8, you will receive power only when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it's, it's important for us to see that the way of Jesus is not only established by the Father, but it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's complete continuity and, and unity of purpose in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God and yet three persons, this incredible, mysterious paradox that is the Trinity. It's why we're named Trinity, because we follow God, Father, and Holy Spirit. And if you look at this commission, it's similar to the commission at the end of Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That's the command, and then there's a promise, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This commission is the same way. There's, there's a, a command and then a promise, but you might have noticed how it's different. The command is, is wait. That's the only real command here. Wait, stay in the city, wait until the Spirit comes. And then the promise is actually that there'll be witnesses in all these places. They're not directly commanded to go be witnesses, but they're promised that they will be witnesses. But first they must wait. 
Our first response to what Jesus is doing in us is, is simply to wait, to stay, to be filled by his spirit, and then, and only then, to move out from there. And so the way of Jesus is the way of the cross, it's the way of renewal, and it's the way of the Father's plan and the Spirit's power. But it's not the way of Jesus for individuals, it's the way of Jesus together. That's the second big thing, the, the togetherness of the church. In fact, you can even say the way of Jesus is the way of the church. These ordinary 11 men become apostles. They go from being named disciples, which means learners or followers, to apostles, which means sent ones. They are, they are sent to establish with Jesus' authority and the, the Spirit's power to establish new churches. The mission of Jesus is focused on restoring two things, life with God and life with one another. Life together in these ordinary churches. It's always staggering to me that local churches are God's chosen method. Like even as a local church pastor, I can admit that's really inefficient. It's probably not the best way to do it. Like Jesus could have stayed on earth, continued his teaching and, you know, doing what he was doing. That worked really, really well. But instead for 2,000 years, he's entrusted these ordinary you know, kind of weird local churches all over the globe. There's this great essay by uh, the writer Annie Dillard, and she describes, I think she was out on a vacation or something, but she basically just walks in to the nearest church, uh, just, just steps right in a random small church. Uh, and she describes the experience, uh, she says the music was bad, you know, the preaching was a struggle for, you know, everyone involved. Um, and so she writes, a high school stage play is more polished than this service we've been rehearsing since year one. In 2,000 years, we have not worked out the kinks. I love that phrase. But then she goes on and she continues and, and says, week after week, we witness the same miracle. That God, for reasons, reasons unfathomable, refrains from blowing our dancing bear act to smithereens. Week after week, Christ washes his disciples' dirty feet, handles their toes, and repeats, is it all right, believe it or not, to be people. Who can believe it? She's saying it's okay to just be people, to just be the church. It doesn't have to be the most impressive thing ever. It doesn't have to, to blow us away in its production. Ordinary, non-spectacular people gathering to sing and pray and hear God's word. And so the way of Jesus is, is a together way. It's the way of the church. And I think for us, one of the things we need to realize right here at the start of this series in Acts is that the way that we do ministry and the way that we do church really matters. We can't just say Jesus is the truth and then communicate that truth however we want to. We can't just say Jesus offers life and then try to, try to push people towards that life in whatever you know, way and means we think is most efficient. We also need to follow his way in ministry. And I've been thinking a lot about our, our culture as, as a whole, and I've been in ministry now 13 years and spent nine as a pastor. And I'm thinking, are, are we really following the way in which he did ministry? Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors, he has a book called The Jesus Way. And he says some hard words suggesting that the American church often reflects the ways of the world more than the way of Christ. And so he writes this, the great American innovation and congregation 
is to turn it into a consumer enterprise. If we have a nation of consumers, obviously the quickest and most effective way to get them into our congregations is to identify what they want and offer it to them. Satisfy their fantasies. Promise them the moon. Recast the gospel in consumer terms, entertainment, satisfaction, excitement, adventure, problem solving, whatever. This is the language we Americans grow up on, the language we understand. We are the world's champion consumers, so why shouldn't we have state-of-the-art consumer churches? And the way of Jesus is slow, it's, it's unhurried. And the way of the world is rushed. The way of Jesus is personal, it's intimate, and the way of the world is it's, it's impersonal. It's, it's programs and institutions and, and information. The way of Jesus is local and particular. It requires discomfort and sacrifice, and yet the ways of the world, they're comfortable because they're non-demanding. They remove the sacrifice. They remove the discomfort. Peterson goes on to say, there's only one thing wrong with this kind of church. This is not the way in which God brings us into conformity with the life of Jesus. This is not the way in which we become less and he becomes more. This is not the way in which our sacrificed lives become available to others in justice and service. The cultivation of consumer spirituality is the antithesis of sacrificial deny-yourself congregations. A consumer church is an antichrist church. God bless Eugene Peterson. <laughs> I needed to hear these words this month. And I think we all do. <coughs> to remember Jesus' way of ministry, his life. It is the pattern for us. It's the best way. We don't adopt the patterns and the programs of this world just to, to get as many people in to communicate the truth of Jesus. We have to follow his way also. Joe, will you grab me that coffee over there? The way of Jesus is against the ways of this world. Sorry, I'm thirsty. So the way of Jesus, second, together, and then third, for the renewal of all things. Look at verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I hope you can, you can feel this. After Jesus' resurrection, he remained with them for 40 days, and they kept asking probably the same thing that I would have asked, which is what happens now? Like after everything you've done, after the cross and resurrection, you know, what's possibly next? Like whatever comes next is going to be absolutely incredible. What is it you're about to do next and he essentially responds, nothing. It's not about what I'm going to do. It's about what you're going to do in my name and through me, through my power. And just like that, he, 
lifts off the ground and ascends before their very eyes into the clouds and off into heaven. And so they're just staring into the sky like that's it. He's really gone. He's not coming back. And it seems like they stand there so long, the angels have to come down and say like, okay, move along. He gave you instructions. Let's get to it. But how staggering is, is the command to simply wait for the Spirit and then go and do the ministry of Jesus. I'm afraid quite often we can be like this as a church, continuing to just stand passively, looking into the sky, waiting for something to happen, waiting for Jesus. You know, we say, if Jesus really wanted to do something, he would just do it, right? But that's not what Jesus says. I'm afraid we can be an Acts 1 church that just stands passively looking into the heavens when Acts 2 has already happened. The Spirit has descended and empowered us to go and do Jesus' ministry. Again, through my time as a pastor, so much of what I've seen in myself and, and seen in, in the people I've ministered to, and, and we can just say it was my previous church before this one, not this one, but people saying, yes, I want to see God move. I want to see him act in my life, and I want to see him act in this world, except Sunday's no good because I do youth sports. Or they say, I, I absolutely want to, want to be part of the Christian community. I want to see God bring his kingdom to bear in my life and through my relationships. But it can't be Thursday night because I watch Survivor, The Bachelor. I want to see revival in my lifetime. I want to be part of a church that, that serves the poor and needy, except I, I'm not going to be the one that serves the poor and needy. I want to gather and, and pray for revival. I want to see revival and yet I'm, I'm, I'm too busy. I've got too much going on. I'm too overwhelmed. I think so often that can be every single one of us. We need the way of Jesus. We need new patterns of life and work. And it's not just more church. I'm not just saying spend more time in church and around church people. I'm talking about embodying the life of Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit to, to live out his life and continue his ministry on this earth and all of the spheres that, that God has placed you? What would it look like to totally realign our patterns of life and our habits to, to kingdom ways and patterns, the ways of Christ? And so to, to close out and bring this full circle... I still feel like I'm against the new indifferent. That's just me. But I also so desperately want to see God move. I'm so dissatisfied when I look at my own heart and see so much dryness and, and so much timidity. I'm dissatisfied with my heart and my mind and I'm dissatisfied with, with the church as a whole in America. And I want to see God break through. There is no other way unless God shows up. In Psalm 63, David is fasting. It seems to be in the middle of the night. And he prays, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I hunger and thirst for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
and I look at Columbia and so many of my friends that are that are outside the church and, and want nothing to do with the Lord, and it just feels like a dry and weary land. It feels like there's no water here. We need the true living waters of Christ. We need to, to hunger and thirst, not for the things of this world, but to hunger and thirst for the presence of God. I'm discovering that my vision for Trinity has been way too small. I don't just mean like bigger and, and better and faster. It's not that at all. In fact, I feel so against that right now, so against the bigger, better, faster church, doing whatever we can just to, you know, whatever. But I don't want to just be, uh, be motivated by what I'm against, but, but what I'm for. What I am for, the three things that I am for right now that I think we need to grow into as a church, I'm for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filling our hearts and minds and, and wrecking us to the core so that we see our sin more clearly and, and we confess Christ more deeply. The Holy Spirit come, as, as Isaiah prayed, uh, come down, rend the heavens and come down. That is what we need. Second, I'm for mission, taking this uh, this commandment that we have from Jesus and going out in his power to make disciples, to proclaim, to see people healed and changed. And so I'm for the Holy Spirit, I'm for mission, and maybe most importantly, I'm for prayer. The contemplative prayer, you know, what I've been growing for years and just being able to sit before the Lord and enjoy his presence. But even more than that, a real bold, uh, a combative prayer, a, a pushing back the darkness prayer, a, a contending for the kingdom of God prayer. Praying for his kingdom to advance in a dry and weary land. Prayer that's on our knees and full of tears and begging the Lord to do something new and different because we so desperately need it. And so over the last few months, this shift in my heart, my own sort of spiritual reawakening, it's, it's led me to remember how much of my life I've prayed for, for all-out revival. You know, not like the big tent thing, not the like Southern Baptist, you know, it's Monday through Friday, we're doing a revival. That's not a revival. I mean like a real turning back to the Lord in our own hearts, in our own churches, across the city, individual renewal, leads to congregational renewal, leads to citywide renewal. And if we're not pursuing that, what are we doing? This is what I want, and I'm so sure that it's what you want as well. Let's pray.